Hello and welcome back to another episode of A Cozy Christmas Podcast. I'm your host, Art, and it's November the 3014th of the year 2020. And yes, I'm back in quarantine again. So before we get started, just a brief health update on me and my family. We have spent the last week having COVID. It's not a, an experience I want to repeat, but I'm, I'm glad we all made it through okay. Our symptoms weren't too, as bad as some. And so we're very grateful for that. And I just want to thank all of you who had sent your your good thoughts and prayers out. We are feeling a lot better. Um, so consequently, this episode is going to be a, a day or two late. So today's guest is musician Rhea Stevens. I am really excited that I had a chance to interview her. Rhea has a Christmas album out called Celebrate. It's maybe a couple years old now, but it's it's a great album. A lot of originals, I think all original music, Christmas music, and it, it's just well done. Very good album. One of my favorites. She was going to have a new album out this year, but because of COVID, that all got bumped back to next year. But she has released uh, at least a, one new Christmas single, Tis the Season. Yeah, her music is worth listening to if you want to. You can find it on Amazon and on online in quite a few places. I highly recommend it. And so in our interview, we talk about uh, her music. We share some family Christmas memories and, and have a, a general good time talking about Christmas. And then uh, for our listener memory today, I have a special one I'm bringing. It was sent in by my sister, Karen. And then we'll be reading a story today called A Mystery in the Kitchen. And it's a story about family and especially a brother and sister. And so I thought since I'd be sharing my sister's memory today, I would read that story as well. And so that's what we have coming up for you in this episode. So let's get ready to deck the halls. This is Thanksgiving week, and I've been doing some preparation for Thanksgiving. So this year, I've been kind of teaching myself how to do some baking because I love treats and snacks. Uh, my wife was more than happy to let me take over some of that responsibility. So I've been trying out some different recipes to see what I want to make for Thanksgiving dinner. We're definitely going to have an apple pie and maybe some kind of pumpkin themed dessert. I was in the mood last night to try out some pumpkin spiced scones and unfortunately we didn't have any more canned pumpkin in the house and since we had COVID I couldn't run out to the store to pick some up so I kept looking around and I found a recipe for apple scones which turned out really good. So I baked some of those and I thought I'd share the recipe with you. Unfortunately, I, I didn't make them with Gracie in the kitchen, so I don't have any audio from her today. So heat your oven to 425 degrees. And then for the scone, you mix together two cups of flour, a third of a cup of sugar, two teaspoons of baking powder, half a teaspoon baking soda, and one teaspoon of cinnamon. Although it recommended if you really like flavor to put another teaspoon of cinnamon in which I did along with some nutmeg and cloves I guess just kind of seasoned to taste so you mix up all the dry ingredients you add in a cup of shredded apple and I couldn't tell you what kind I used I just had to use what we had in the fridge they were red ones <laughs> small red ones they tasted really good and uh, then a half a cup of milk and so then you mix that up together so it makes the dough and then you I guess you can depend on what kind of size of scones you want I rolled out two smaller circles and then chopped them up like a pie so you have those little triangle shaped scones and then I sprinkled the top with some brown sugar and cinnamon 
and then you bake them for 15 to 20 minutes. I put them on a, a baking sheet, but then it had the, the paper on it, the baking paper, I, parchment paper, I guess it's called. I don't know. <laughs> I'm still trying to learn all the lingos. So you put your dough on the baking sheet, shape, shape them like triangles, cook for 15 minutes. I cooked 15 minutes exactly, and they were just perfectly done. They weren't dry at all. I think the apple in the juice really helped keep that um, from drying out. Uh, but that was really good. So then for the, the drizzle on top, I made a cup of powdered sugar and two tablespoons of milk. And you mix that together to make the glaze. And I would wait until they're cooled off. Otherwise, it just kind of runs all over the place. I mean, it still will. But and then for an al alternate glaze, take another cup of powdered sugar, two tablespoons of milk, and then some cinnamon, nutmeg, and cloves and mix that together to make a kind of apple spice tasting extra drizzle. And so I tried to make it real fancy where it has the white glaze and then little swirls of, of a darker colored glaze with the, the apple seasonings. But I think I put it on all a little too, when it was a little too warm, it just kind of mixed in together, but it was still good. You could, the taste was right. That scone's been a big hit and I think I might get requests to make it again. And it pairs nicely with your favorite cup of coffee. I'll have the recipe, if I remember, I'll put the recipe in the show notes for you. And you can uh, try that out at home if you're, if you're so inclined. That's how I've been decking the halls this week. Baking some goodies. And I'd love to hear from you about the treats that you are making. All right, next we have is my interview with musician singer-songwriter Rhea Stevens. All right, welcome to the Cozy Christmas Podcast, and I have a special guest with me today. Rhea Stevens is a uh, musician, singer, songwriter, cat owner, I can see, <laughs> and, uh, and she was so gracious enough to join me on the podcast today. Uh, Rhea, welcome to the Cozy Christmas Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. I'm glad it all worked out and we can use our our digital skills to connect here over, <laughs> over the internet. It's fabulous that we live in a, a digital world in a year of COVID. That's right. Yeah, I, I think I'd go crazy if I didn't have new people to talk to. So <laughs> <laughs> this is fabulous. That's right. Well, I, uh, I've heard, first heard Rhea's music a uh, uh, I think it was 2018 when that was when your Celebrate album came out. Is is that yes, correct? 2018. Yes. Yeah. Before all the craziness. Oh yeah, yeah. Back when the world was different. <laughs> <laughs> back in the good old days. That's right. <laughs> she um, she has a great album out called Celebrate, and uh, it's full of wonderful Christmas music. Uh, it really captures that feel of a, of the old Christmas music from like the 1950s, 1960s era. And if you've listened to it, then you know what I'm talking about there. So Rhea, can you tell us a little bit about your, about that album? Well, um, I've always loved Christmas music. I mean, I'm one of those people where I live in Los Angeles and it's, you know, it's sunny year round. And, um, I moved out here from Northern California um, in my, I think I was 20. 
20 or 21. And, you know, there's weather up in Northern California. You get really heavy winters and mm. really hot summers and all that. But down here, it's just, it's kind of summer and spring year round. So I would just, you know, put on my Christmas records and crank up the AC, um, <laughs> you know, basically yep. for the past, you know, 15, 15 years or so. And just the Christmas music was, has always been my comfort, my comfort music. Mm. And anytime I'm going through something, it's just a great, a great reset. And I love, um, did, there's, there's a genre to listen to that's musically lush. Mm. Um, whatever trends are going on, you can always turn to Christmas music to really uh, just um, ex- have a lush musical experience. And um, so I started writing Christmas songs uh, a long time ago. I think I wrote my first Christmas song when I was nine <laughs> and just kind of, to, you know, applied my toolkit in any way that I could and to make great Christmas songs, but it was always really a dream to write Christmas songs that might um, stand up against all of the, all of the greats. So mm-hmm. I just took my best, took my best swing on swing at it. And John Kubis, um, who I've worked with for many, many years, uh, we just, I invited him to, do some co-writing and production and we just, we just made it happen. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I couldn't have asked for a better musical partner for that album. Yeah. Well, and then uh, I guess not too long after that, uh, Disney comes calling and, and you get to <laughs> a couple of your songs in um, Noel, which is a great movie too. Uh, one of our favorites. So. Now, it's adorable. Oh and yeah. I love Anna Kendrick. Yes. Yeah. Later. Yeah. She's perfect in that movie. That was, that was great. Um, now, so did you have the album out first and then they contacted you or how does that all work? Uh, yeah, it's so, it's so funny. The release of that album was a mad rush to get it out that year for the holidays. And um, there really wasn't any time to pitch for sync or, mm-hmm. you know, get a licensing agent because I think we released it on October 19th uh, of 2018. And um, by then pretty much all the music is chosen for, for mm-hmm. Christmas movies and shows and commercials and all of that. And uh, a gentleman named Steve Scharf, who's a licensing agent. Um, I was connected with him um, about a year later and he heard the stuff and said, Hey, my friend Kaylin over at Disney is, is looking for some Christmas songs for this movie, Noel, can I pitch your stuff? And I said, sure. And a couple of weeks later, he called me up and he said, you don't have just one song in it. You have two songs in Noel, <laughs> which was amazing. And, and then um, after that, it was placed in Black Christmas mm-hmm. um, and Sens- Sensibility and Snowmen on Hallmark and, it's placed in a bunch of things. Uh, Jingle Jangle is placed in a couple yeah. of things this year too, and Tis the Season. And I've got my Tis the Season cup right here. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> to celebrate that Tis the Season is, uh, the instrumental is used in a, a Victoria's Secret promotional ad okay. uh, this season. And uh, what else was it in? 
I can't think of it off the top of my head, but it's exciting. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful to have that success, especially because I was really just making this music because I, I wanted to, mm-hmm. I just, I was really, really, um, just crazy about the creative process the whole way through. And so it's, you know, it's like gravy just, just to have the placements. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I was talking to a, a writer on, well, I guess when this airs, it'll be a past podcast, but, um, and, and we were just talking about just the joy of creation that to, yeah. to be able to use your talents or, or to use your abilities to create something that, and then when people respond to that, that's gotta be thrilling. It is. I mean, just, I mean, being lost in any kind of project. I mean, if I'm making a great meal or decorating the house or whatever, writing a song, it's just, uh, you can't really think about anything else. It's, it's, mm. you, you kind of yield yourself to it and you're, you're lost to the world for a while is wonderful. Yeah. And you know, in this day and age, that's maybe we are looking to get lost <laughs> <laughs> a little bit more. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, uh, and then I was looking around and you can now add um, a, a word winner to your name. And um, I think you got another song nominated this year for, uh, was it the Hollywood uh, Music and Media Awards? Yes. Hollywood Music and Media Awards. Okay. Say that 10 times fast. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> is the season is, um, was nominated this year. And mm-hmm. I think they're going to do a live stream on January 27th. So, you know, it's a different kind of award season. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Jingle Jingle won one last year, which was, I was floored. I mean, I just, I was so not thinking that I was going to win. So I was way up in the rafters, you mm-hmm. know, with friends and colleagues just hanging out up there and they're naming up and I had to run down those stairs so fast. It was like this huge winding spiral staircase. (laughs) Ray, are you here? I, I just, I was, that that was really cool. Yeah. Don't give it away till I get there. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Oh, now, and I saw that, uh, that you're a, what's called an independent artist. What is, how does that differ? I'm not into the, all the lingo and everything. What is independent versus, I don't even know what the opposite would be. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Well, when you're with a label, um, you're, you're tied to the label. You're making music under that label. Okay. They're funding it and, uh, promoting it and, and supporting you as an artist. And, um, the industry has just changed so much. Um, And those of us that just kind of want to do our own thing and want to make the kind of music that we want to make and um, are um, devoted enough to support it and promote it and pay for it and all of that, we're independent artists. Okay. So I'm an independent artist. just making the music that I want to make, funding it myself, promoting it myself. And mm-hmm. uh, it's a big job, but um, it's also very freeing. Um, yeah. there's, there's nobody that's telling you what to do. So, right, right. <laughs> and when right. to do it, which is, which is really nice. 
Yeah. Well, I guess in some ways it's kind of like podcasting <laughs> for a very small yeah. way. <laughs> I, We're I don't, all very rogue around here. <laughs> that's right. I can just do what I want and I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just, well, I tell you, having somebody over your shoulder, um, t- you know, telling you who to work with, how to make mm-hmm. the music, what to do, it's kind of like, well, you know, wait a minute. I thought this was my paintbrush. So, yeah. 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 Well, and you know, they're trying to make money and yes, you know, there's, there's all that, but um, yeah, yeah, completely understand. Yeah. Yeah. It's gotta be freeing just to um, be able to, you know, say, I'm going to make, I want the song to sound like this. I don't care if it's not what's hot right now. You know, this is, this is what my heart is wanting me to write. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, and it's um, if you, if if you've got if it's if it's in your soul to do it, I think that you're the you know the dominoes kind of line up for you. All right, and so you have a, an album coming out next year too that I, I believe you wanted out this year, but I didn't did. quite make it. It didn't quite make it. Um, this has been a wonderful year to be in the studio because whenever I'm in the studio, anyway, it's like I'm on lockdown. Anyway, I mean, if I shave my legs or, you know, brush my hair. I'm doing really good <laughs> because it's just all consuming. You're just, there's just so much to do and you, you don't want to be um, pulled out of it. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're kind of always in the, in the studio. So this year I recorded um, nine new tracks and it was really easy to do because you know, it's, it's the year of COVID and there's, there wasn't much else to do anyway, but I actually ended up writing three or four more songs, additional songs. And I really think they need to go on this album. So I'm just going to spend the next three, four months uh, recording those and mm-hmm. it'll just be, be a longer album. Yeah. Well, be a good 12, 13, 14 song. Nice. Album. Well, then you get to extend Christmas into, you know, <laughs> February or March, I guess, right? <laughs> exactly. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> now, well, are now are you a kind of person that will listen to Christmas music all year round, or or does that have a specific season for you? Guilty. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Same. <laughs> Guilty. Yeah. I mean, I just, I mean, it's great to to just. I think just the the warmth and the comfort and the festivity of the season is just it's just a wonderful feeling i think i think those of us who love christmas really love that feeling one of my favorite stories is a christmas carol and i was listening to an audiobook version of it in april i think um because we had just kind of gone into lockdown this whole thing was new and everything and we had no idea what it was going to look like and we were all stressed so i just went to a comfort read so i was i listened to it on my phone and my wife happened to look over and i went to hide it and she's like what are you (laughs) What are you listening to? <laughs> like, nothing. <laughs> you know? Oh, that's anyway, so funny. She saw what I, she's like, come on, it's April. <laughs> like, I know. It I need, doesn't matter. I needed something to relax to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. One of my favorite movies um, to fall asleep to is, uh, what's that? That's Sandra, While You Were Sleeping. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Sandra Bullock. I mean, that wasn't really a Christmas movie per se, but it's, it's, uh, yeah. I just find, I love that movie. 
Yeah. Oh, me, me too. Uh, I, to me, that's uh, a lot of people like to argue if Die Hard's a Christmas movie or not, but you know, I, I don't care about that one. It's while you were sleeping is the one we should be talking about. <laughs> yes. And Elf is good any time of year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's one of my wife and my favorite movies too. We watch it quite a lot. So <laughs> you've, got, you've got good taste. <laughs> it's such a sweet movie. Yeah. And yeah. the score is so, so lovely. And there's the the one line at their dinner when I think it's the mom keeps saying these mashed potatoes are so creamy. Potatoes are so creamy. We say that all the time. <laughs> that's hilarious. I love it. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good film. Yeah. Uh, so you've got uh, some Chris, a Christmas album coming out and I know you've got some non-Christmas albums. Um, I suppose, do you have plans for just, a regular album, I guess, beyond your Christmas one or, or before? I do. I do. I, um, I actually have a, a, an album that is, it's like 90% done and I'm crazy about it. Um, but I just have to figure out a way I'd love to release it closer to summertime, but a lot of times you have to prepare for a Christmas album release in the summer. Mm -hmm. So I just have to really get out my calendar and figure out how I can manage to release both in the same um, <laughs> six month time span. But, uh, but yeah, the, the new album coming out, I think I'm going to call it treasure chest. Um, that is a really funky um, has kind of some retro, a retro seventies kind of vibe on some of the songs. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, that, that one, I, I can't wait to share. I really mm -hmm. can't wait to share that. That is equally as important to me as the Christmas album. I just need to finish up a few new songs for it and figure out a, a release plan. Yeah. So, yeah I'm, I don't just make Christmas music. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, uh, oh, what do you call it? I guess it's a men's group out from South Dakota or North Dakota. Um, they're called the Blenders and they tour around a lot in, in the Midwest area, but all I know of them is Christmas music and they've put out a lot of Christmas music, Wow! Uh, but they've done, you know, kind of a, I don't know what kind, what you'd call it, a, maybe an R and B sound or something. And, you know, I love their Christmas music. It, we kind of laugh at them because I don't know if they ever wanted to become, you know, the, the Christmas band, but <laughs> they did. yeah, out here, that's what, most of us out here know them as, oh, the Christmas group. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's so funny. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, Christmas comes every year. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you have I mean, an that, audience. that really is the beauty of Christmas music, though, is that it comes every year. So a lot of times with pop stuff, people will listen to a release for a little while mm -hmm. and then they they don't come back to it once it's over. But with Christmas, you pull out the same stuff every year. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. And then eventually it becomes nostalgia and yes. then it really just sinks in. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit more about Christmas. Um, it's one of my, it's, well, it's my favorite holiday. I looks like uh, you've got quite the Christmas spirit there too. <laughs> I do. I do. I put this up. Um, last weekend <laughs> oh nice <laughs> good uh, i guess for those who can't see she's got a christmas tree behind her so it looks it looks good christmas tree fireplace and little reindeer okay yeah i see a little bit there yeah i mean the, the time between thanksgiving and christmas is probably my favorite time of year uh yeah. and you know this year uh, we look forward to thanksgiving 
uh, you know, I'm trying to be more focused on being grateful and, and being content has been another big one. You know, a lot's, a lot's been taken just because of the different health issues going on and all that. And I think it's good though, that we're having to maybe slow down a little bit. I agree. I agree. I've, um, I tell you what, I mean, I, pulled out a puzzle the other night, a thousand piece puzzle. And it has been so nice to just have an extra hour in the day to sit there and listen to music and decompress. Those are things mm -hmm. that I never did. I never did before COVID. And I mean, just, I think one of the things that has happened with me is there's just so much more time available to think before reacting. Mm -hmm. to just, you know, so often all of my correspondence over the past 10 years has been really quick, you know, because there's just not, a, you're just bouncing from thing to thing to thing, um, mm -hmm. just trying to keep it all together. It's really fun to actually have time to create a thoughtful email and, and nurture relationships and have Zoom meetings with people and just sit around and um, read a book you know, yeah. for, for a couple of hours, it's, it's wonderful. I mean, those are things that, and really when, when you have, when you, when you realize how re-energizing those things are, you go, well, what was I doing before? I mean, it's not like you're not getting things done now. Mm -hmm. It's everything is still getting done, but you're just not in the, in your, you don't have those additional pressure cookers, you know, right. Make it to this meeting, you know, meet, meet this person over there or, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you're running around to do. Yeah. I think actually finding that some of this stuff is really more enriching than it is entertaining. Yeah. I have, I have three kids and uh, two teenage boys and then my daughter who's 11. So last year we were just going all over with yeah. different school activities and this and that, which is great. Uh, you know, my kids are super crazy talented. They don't get it from me, but <laughs> no, uh, uh, my, my oldest son, he's really into music and he plays piano and is great, uh, great musician. And my daughter just likes all that kind of singing. She likes singing and stuff. So uh, we, we did a lot of choir tours and things. And, you know, this year it's all of it's pretty much gone. And it's, it's like, this is, this is a little nicer. <laughs> yeah. Are they doing any of those things online? Well, I know they've been doing, um, choir online, which is mm -hmm. hard. Uh, our, our school is still meeting in person, okay. but they have certain, when kids, if kids get exposed or are sick, they can, they go home and then they do online schooling. So there's like partial online schooling. Yeah. My, my son got exposed, so he's been home, but he's been feeling okay. Oh. But then my wife just got sick this week. And so she's got a test out right now to see. Oh boy. So we're all kind of hunkered in, in the house right now. Yeah. <laughs> we, we live in a rural area and it's taken a while to get here, but now that it's here, it's, it's tearing through everybody. Uh, you know, we got oh, a, we got a lot of older folks living in town and stuff, so they're yeah. pretty vulnerable to that. Um, so we're trying to do what we can to keep them <laughs> safe. Oh yeah. oh yeah. Well, puzzles, we, we, uh, sports. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, got... uh, lots of iPads and that's right. <laughs> chores, chores are always chores? good. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll I'll write that one down. That's a good idea. <laughs> don't tell them I told you. I don't want to be in trouble. <laughs> okay, I'll tell them. Mom said that. Yeah. 
There you go. Actually, probably did say that. Uh, <laughs> she probably did. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I like I like the uh, one thing I love about Christmas is just the the family time we can organize around. Um, you know, the baking our favorite treats and and that right. kind of thing. Uh, are do you uh, are you a baker at all or huge baker? Uh, yes, I actually just made um, pumpkin chocolate chip cookies. Oh, those are good. They were amazing. Um, I put some walnuts in them. Oh, I haven't had them with walnuts. Yeah, my wife makes some pumpkin chocolate chip cookies and they're like a drug. I don't know. (laughs) I know. I know. They're so addicting. Take take the box and go to my room. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, tell you what, if you make them Mm -hmm. gluten-free, they they seem to keep you a little slimmer. Oh, all right. There Just you a go. little tip. Just a little tip. Have to try that. Yeah. I had made some chocolate chip brownies or uh, cupcakes a while ago. I, I tried it out and I think it was gluten or close to gluten free, but instead of the oil and eggs, you put pumpkin in it instead. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and that was really good because then I, I threw in some pumpkin spice flavors. And so we had this like chocolate pumpkin-y chocolate chip muffin thing and oh man wow i would love that recipe <laughs> yeah i can i can share it with you I, I found it online it was actually uh someone had a uh someone has a like a christmas youtube channel and she she baked them on her channel and i thought well those look good so my daughter and i made them and i i think i think we talked about them on the podcast i i, I have my daughter on sometimes and we, we, we bake some treats or we we try out some of the candy they're selling in stores and uh that's the, so uh, fun it's a father-daughter thing yeah yeah i i when i started the podcast i wanted to have my family involved at least partially and she was super excited and willing to to do that so how fun for her she'll always remember that yeah yeah and we'll have um at least we'll have the recordings saved somewhere i'm sure so <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah I, I, she, she gets a lot of good feedback from listeners. So I, I, I say she's the more popular of the two hosts. <laughs> kids are, you know, with kids, their energy is always fresh. Yeah. It's wonderful. Uh, you know, there's not all this, um, there's just no bravado, yeah. especially, especially, you know, under 12 years old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh <laughs> she'll sometimes say something and then be like, dad, Make sure you, you erase that part from the podcast. I, I don't want that part on. <laughs> do you do it? Um, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes I do. <laughs> That's so cute. I think um, the, it must have been the last episode. We were trying something and uh, I, I think she might have burped into the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, oh, dad, you need to take that one out. But <laughs> we got laughing so hard. So I put our... I put our laughter at the end as a, as an outtake. So. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's um, so fun. I can imagine the fun you guys have. What a great bonding experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. She got me to try this game called being, being boozled. Uh, it's, it's kind of where it's like a game that has these uh, jelly beans and, and each flavor they look alike, but one is a normal jelly bean flavor. And the other is like a disgusting gross flavor and uh, like earwax or booger or whatever so we played that game and i I about lost it oh (laughs) my gosh i can't handle this grace (laughs) that's funny now you you had mentioned in your email that you you maybe had some 
memories of your dad you could you could share yes and it's christmas memories with my dad are really really vivid Mm -hmm. Um, because he's my dad is such a character he's a he's a great musician um and uh one of the most one of the hardest christmases was when i was eight years old and um my dad had this we had converted our garage into a recording studio um he always had he worked for disney and uh, had musicians over all the time and was always working on projects and there were just musicians going in and out of the studio all day long all night long and um a couple of uh months before christmas somebody broke in to the studio and stole all of the equipment oh no in the studio and it was none of it was insured and there was all kinds of stuff going on um it it was i was living in pasadena at the time we were living in pasadena and um anyway uh from that experience it just kind of changed everything for my dad he just wanted to get out of los angeles was just kind of brokenhearted and listless and so my parents put the house up for sale they, they put it on the market and planned to move up to Northern California and the house sold. And so over Christmas, we were moving, we had moving boxes everywhere. We had movers coming in and out of the house. And I think we got a, a little kind of Charlie Brown size Christmas tree and it was sitting on top of the coffee table in kind of a half empty living room and nobody had decorated it yet. There was just, so much going on and it didn't really feel like Christmas. And um, anyway, I had been talking about wanting to flock the tree for a couple of weeks, ever since we got it, I'd always wanted a flocked tree. And my dad really didn't like flock trees. He loved the smell of evergreen. He loved the natural tree and all of that. He was just explaining to me, honey, you know, you just don't want to, you don't want to do that to a tree. You know, it's full of chemicals and, you know, (laughs) (laughs) all of this stuff. And anyway, it was a little bit boring around the house because my sister was out getting as much playtime with her friends as she could. All of the girls on the block were her age and none of them were my age. I was the youngest and kind of nobody really wanted to play with me because I was the youngest. <laughs> they were always playing Ditchum with me, you know? <laughs> and yep. so I was kind of, you know, playing underneath the tree and touching the branches and just kind of, you know, just kind of daydreaming and thinking about um, how I was going to be in a new school and all of those things and just mm-hmm. feeling kind of, kind of sad because it wasn't really Christmassy around the house. And my dad was sitting on the couch and he said, he just kind of put down his newspaper and he said, honey, you've been really wanting to flock this tree, haven't you? And I said, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He said, well, come on, come on, let's let's go, let's go. We're going to go, let's go find some flock. And that man drove me to every store. Nobody had flock. It was, it was all out. That was because it was so popular at the time. And we must've gone to five or six stores, you know, just wall to wall people in every single one of them. And he, we finally found some flock. 
brought it home. He dragged the tree out onto the patio and just said, you know, stand back. And it just, I just remember so vividly watching him just carefully flock every branch on that tree. And we put it back inside and I slept under that tree every <laughs> single night until we moved all through, through Christmas. And it just meant so much to me with everything, you know, looking back as an adult that he was going through. Mm -hmm you know, leaving his colleagues behind. We didn't have digital, um, you know, you couldn't do music digitally back right. then. And, um, you know, all of that equipment would be, you know, I'm sure there were a couple of vintage pieces that he had that might be worth something, but a lot of that stuff is obsolete today. Mm -hmm. But that memory for me of that Christmas tree is forever. And I just yeah. always remember that that just meant so much to me. Yeah. Oh, I, I love those things that can trigger memories like that. You know, yeah. you know, now when you see a flock tree, I mean, you're going to think of your dad. And <laughs> I do. And it's funny, I would not flock a tree today because <laughs> like him, you know, as an adult, I just love that. I love the natural, um, yeah. the tree, you know, and the, the evergreen and all of that. But he, you know, that was just really precious. And then another year, um, I had saved up my allowance to buy a bunch of things for my mom and my sister from Avon. And I had not mastered the art of wrapping yet. Everything was always clumpy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Tons of tape and then, you know, the paper wouldn't fit over the box. So you try to, you know, put another piece of paper over it to make it work. And so I was so, I was really into it though. I was at the, at the dining room table and I just was so frustrated. So I kept wrapping them and unwrapping them and trying again. And I was going through all of this wrapping paper and it was midnight and I was still, I've always been a night owl and I was mm -hmm. still out in the, you know, in the dining room doing this. And my dad kind of came out for midnight sack and he said, okay, honey, this is how you do it. You got to wrap it really tight. You know, you got to, <laughs> you know, you got to pull the paper tight and then you fold in these edges. You got to make sure they're even. And we sat and we wrapped everything until about two o'clock in the morning together. Oh, and neat. I love wrapping gifts ever since then. And I'm, you know, he showed me how to curl the ribbon and oh, wow. those little things. <laughs> it's just those little things about the holidays that you don't, you could never plan. Yeah. Um, yeah. But those are the things that you end up remembering you know yeah. i mean i remember one christmas my dad had had um a gig i think he had a it might have been on new year's i'm not sure it was probably new year's and i had the flu hmm. really badly and i had been really sick all day long and um my dad would always he would come up in his tuxedo you know because you always have to wear a tuxedo to these gigs and, mm -hmm. and uh he came up to check on me with a, with a glass of orange juice. And he said, you know, here, you know, have some of this. And it's really late at night. And, you know, orange juice is really acidic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. I drank that orange juice and threw up all over his tuxedo. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and I Oops. mean, it was, it was dripping down the side of the bed. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, oh, that's okay, honey. That's okay. That's okay. Don't worry about it. You know, and he's calling to my mom. Ah! 
<laughs> it was so sweet of him to come in and check on me and bring me orange juice. And yeah, you know, my mom's like, Peter, you don't give a sick kid orange juice. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, uh, we used uh, we used to live uh, in a in Iowa here in a town near Des Moines at the they had this big shopping center mall and it was relatively a new a new build uh well it's probably about 20 years old now but uh so when it first was built they had they invited in some musicians for the their black friday kickoff it was i think it was actually the thursday night before black friday uh well no that would be thanksgiving so it was a week before thanksgiving there we go and they actually had the the blenders come in the the, the group i was telling you about and they were yeah they were singing and, and our boys were real little. And, um, well, I guess Grace wasn't born yet at that time. Um, but, uh, oh, that was so fun. And I got some video from that night and, um, uh, when the, uh, it was when the local radio station made the flip over to Christmas music and they had Santa come out, you know, and he, he lit off a firework that lit the Christmas tree in the, in the shopping center square. And, and, and then all these fireworks started going off and, Christmas music started playing out of the speakers and we were, we were pretty poor at the time. So this was, this was, you know, a free entertainment, <laughs> but yeah. it, it's, it was such a special memory. And we have the video of my boys just watching the fireworks and just in awe, like, this is, this is amazing. Uh, that, you know, to see fireworks, to see Santa, all that stuff. It, it's, um, yeah. I, and I said them that, an experience. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've said before, I, I think sometimes we make things too complicated. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's, there's some value in keeping things simple. Uh, yes. Well, it's, you don't even have the time to, to treasure any moment if you're always rushing around. That is something that this year has taught me is that I really love not being rushed mm-hmm. and Life is so much more enjoyable when you are not rushed. Probably bad to think this, but I, I think if if my wife does have COVID and I have to be in quarantine for two weeks, that's gonna I'm not gonna complain about that <laughs> as long as she's okay. You know, <laughs> I want to yeah. make sure she's okay. But it, it's you know this is my favorite place to hang out. So, <laughs> and that's a wonderful, wonderful thing to say. Yeah, well, I hope your wife is okay. Yeah, she she's um she's had a cough and a lot of the symptoms and the doctor's pretty sure she has it, but, um, you know, uh, I think she'll be all right in the, in the long run. Uh, we can get deep for a moment, maybe, I don't know, but what, what is Christmas to you? Um, you know, as you think about what is Christmas about, um, what's important to you? Generosity Mm -hmm. is important. Um, just the best part about the world slowing down around Christmas time is just more energy and time to be present. Just present in the moment, doing simple things um, with creativity. I think I love the creativity of the holidays. I mean, you can create a special moment every day, whether it's, um, you know, pulling out the the holiday towels or the Christmas bedding that you bought last year, or, um, you know, baking some banana bread and bringing it to your neighbor. 
um, having a friend over for tea with uninterrupted time um, is, that's a gift. Mm. It's, it really is a gift to just um, wrapping gifts together, just all of those simple things and really being present in the moment. Um, I think to me, Christmas is about, is about presence. Not yeah. with a T. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. The, yeah. your, your presence, not not gifts. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Exactly. I, I got you what you meant. <laughs> presence, presence with other people. And um, I mean, I remember as a kid just sitting in front of the fireplace for mm-hmm. hours mm-hmm. and maybe drawing in a coloring book or reading a book in front of the fire and just having that downtime to do those things and just to dream, just to dream a little bit. And everything about the holidays is romantic. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of whets your appetite for the possibilities. You know, what, what can I create in this day that would be really special? Mm -hmm. I used to love to lay underneath the tree and look up beneath it. Yeah. I know a lot of people have done this and see all the lights and stuff from underneath. And I think it was probably seven or eight years ago in the house we're in now, we had our tree set up. Uh, I just got it up. And so I had the lights on and so I decided to lay on the floor and look underneath the tree. And before I knew it, here comes my son. He He was probably about eight at the time, I would say. And He's laying next to me. And then I think my other son came in uh, anyway. So then my wife took a picture. And so we have this picture of our three legs sticking out from under the tree. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But, you know, I think, I think kids are so, um, they're just enamored when you're involved with, with something or when you're having a moment, they can feel it. Mm-hmm. They can, they can feel that. So they see you under the Christmas tree, just enjoying the moment. And they want to be a part of that. Hmm. They want to be a part of that moment. I guess I'd, we, we could give the advice to, uh, to parents today is to uh, <laughs> make sure you're in the moment with your kids then. And, and don't be afraid to, you know, don't be afraid to act like a kid. Yeah. There's within reason, I suppose, but <laughs> or at least I'm often told to stop eating like a kid. I don't know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Well, one thing that I love to do with my nieces and nephews is I put together, I just, when I go up to Northern California to celebrate with my family, I like to do a project with the kids every year, whether it's a gingerbread house or um, a painting. You know, there was one year where we, we just all painted on canvases. You know, we had our own canvases and we just spent a good week or so just kind of, you know, toddling back and forth through the living room. And <laughs> and it just kind of brought us all into the vicinity of something creative. Mm-hmm. And even if you're not speaking, you're still sharing that moment together. And ornaments, just getting a bunch of, you know, holiday confetti and glitter and stickers and you know, those little, those little wooden, wooden ornaments, I think is what I'm going to do this year. And everybody can decorate their own and write their name on the back. And those are really fun to pull out the mm-hmm. next year. It's just little simple traditions, but I think anytime you're doing something creative, it's, uh, it, it draws everybody to the experience. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I love to, to paint and be creative. And uh, I mean, that's been inspired by my grandparents and uh, you know, another story I tell a lot, <laughs> but when I was a kid, they, they gave me a, a set of like how to draw art books and mm. for Christmas, it, I can remember it was for Christmas and they were in my, my stocking. And uh, I, I just thought, oh, this, this, this looks fun. And, and I just taught myself to draw and to be creative and, it inspired a lifelong joy yeah. of, of, of being creative. And I mean, those are really the best gifts that they are. They yeah. are. That brings to mind, that brings to mind a Christmas that I spent um, in Arizona. It was snowing and my sister had just broken mm. her leg. Mm. So she had a cast on um, and which was fabulous for me because that meant that she wouldn't be, out and about playing with the cousins <laughs> who were her age because again all of the cousins were her age and they weren't my age so i had my sister all to myself and my grandparents gave us the game operation and we made those um you know those kind of like uh what are those those kind of plastic um stained glass window looking kind of art pieces yeah. and we got coloring books and stickers and we spent a good four or five days playing operation, coloring in our coloring books together, doing crossword puzzles and making those little stained glass mm -hmm. ornaments. And it was so much fun. Mm. So much fun. That's neat. I mean, you know, not neat that she broke her leg, but <laughs> you, can, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you can turn those things into, uh, into fun. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was just a nice, but it was the creativity. I think it was just yeah. the the hours of um, of creativity hanging out together that was that was so fun, you know. Yeah. Then your parents are like, "Well, they're getting along. What? <laughs> this is new. <laughs> What's up Awfully with that?" Quiet in there. Is everything okay? <laughs> who, ki who killed who here? <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, well, I, I think that's a, a great thing to remember for Christmas is just to be generous, uh, especially with your time. I mean, yeah. I think honestly, that's probably the most valuable thing we, we have is, is time. I mean, yeah, it, absolutely. Because yeah. you can never get it back. Right. Right. It's the one thing that you, that you can never get back. So when you're really present with loved ones, you're really, that's the best gift that you can give. You know, I, I think about that. And I mean, there's, there's so much about Christmas that means different things to different people. You know, uh, there's, there's the whole uh, spiritual side to it, the sacred side, you know, that's meaningful to me. There's the fun side, you know, we, we bring in Santa and, and all that that's fun, but really the, uh, I mean, just involving the family is, is so important to me. Uh, that I, I love to involve my family in, in what, whatever it is we're doing. And, you know, as the kids are getting older now, it's, we're hearing more grumbles than, you know, oh, dad, I don't want to do this again, <laughs> you know, but uh, it, it's, I know it's things that it's a, it's a stage and they can, they'll look back at hopefully and have some fond memories. So probably, uh, I mean, my oldest, he's going to be finishing up high school this year and, you know, that's, so this is going to be a, an emotional Christmas for us all. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, is he's, he going away to college or is yep, he? Yep. He's going to go to college. He wants to do uh music education. So 
It's nice. We, we tease him about all those years of piano lessons are paying off. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, when he goes away to college and doesn't have somebody cooking for him all the time and, <laughs> you know, doesn't have the support around him, the Christmases when he comes home are going to be really, really tender. I know that, um, I mean, I've been away from my family for a lot of years and Christmas is the best. I mean, we just, we really sock in and, and um, that's the time when all of those memories, he's going to recall all of those, all of those cherished memories and they're going to become richer over the years. And I believe your Christmases are going to get even better. Awesome. Well, okay. I'll, I'll take your word on it. If, if not, I'll, I'll call you and complain. So <laughs> you, you promised. You can cry on my shoulder. Okay. <laughs> Put those kids on the phone. They don't know how good they have it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, well, Raya, thank you so much for stopping by. I suppose I got to cut this short at some point, but. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, um, you bet. And Merry Christmas to you and yours. Yes, uh, you have a Merry Christmas and you're going to be up with your family, you said, in Northern California. Yes, I'm, I'm going to head up next uh, next weekend and I'll probably be up there through the New Year's. Um, so I hope you stay healthy and all that and, and you guys have a good Christmas. Thank you so much. Thank you, Art. Today's listener memory comes from my sister, Karen. She is a huge Christmas fan and possibly this podcast's number one fan. So we have a big name listener memory today. Anyway, my sister writes in to share a memory of baking with her grandma. And she says this, my grandparents' house was magical. It was my favorite place on earth. Nothing could beat the excitement of leaving in the middle of the night and driving through cities and towns all dark and quiet to get there. Then the winding road that marked we were just a few minutes away to the top of the road in that house. The door would be thrown open and I would be immediately smothered in my grandmother's arms and a lipstick kiss was pressed to my cheek that she would laugh about and try to rub off. Christmas was especially magical. The whole house was filled with excitement and wonder. The biggest tree in all the world was in the family room. Stockings hung on a real fireplace in the living room. And all sorts of good things to eat in the warm kitchen that smelled just like Christmas. One year, when I was quite young, I remember my grandma gave me the special honor of helping her in the kitchen. I watched as she made her fudge that no fudge on earth could compare to, no matter how famous the chef. I sat at the little table in the corner of the kitchen with a cup of orange juice and waited in eager expectation for when it would be my turn to help make the magic of Christmas. Finally, it was time. My special task was to make gingerbread men. I'm sure I made things much more difficult as I helped her measure the ingredients and mix things just right, but she would just smile that wonderful smile that shone in her eyes even more than her face and laugh that special laugh that sounded somewhere between a chuckle and an oh and kiss my forehead and cheek and of course wipe away the lipstick smudge she had made. She showed me how to press the cinnamon candies in place while the cookies were still warm so they would stay nice and secure. 
When they cooled, I carefully watched and tried my very best to decorate as prettily and as neatly as she did. I remember the good smell of spices, the warmth of the kitchen, the sound of soft music playing, her arms around me guiding my hands, and the feeling of being perfectly happy. The beauty of Christmas is somehow wrapped up in that memory, a moment in time filled with everything that is Christmas, the assurance of love, the expectation of wonder, the beauty of giving. This was Christmas at Grandma's. And uh, that is, again, a Christmas memory from my sister, Karen, and I want to thank her for sending that in. And yeah, I owe her a a uh, sticker for that, and I will get that to you, I promise, um, just as soon as I stop being contagious. <laughs> also, to the ornament winner, uh, Rachel, I do have your ornament ready to go. I am so sorry it's taken so long to get it to you, but again, uh, we've been in quarantine for a while and really couldn't get out, and I just wasn't sure if I should send something through the mail while I was contagious, So, uh, but it will be coming to you this week. But if you would like to send in an, a memory, I will send you uh, also a Christmas card and sticker. You can send me a memory on my email cozychristmaspodcast at gmail.com or reach out to me on the social medias. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And just message me a Christmas memory. It can be short. It can be long. It doesn't matter. Um, I'll be happy to read it any any time of the year. If you're listening to this episode in January, then you know what? Hit that send button and get me a Christmas memory because I'm going to be sharing these all year long. Uh, I look forward to hearing from you. Our story today is called A Mystery in the Kitchen by Olive Thorne Miller. I can't find the copyright date of the story, but it's, I think, early 1900s it was. Uh, but it's from a story called Good Cheer Stories Every Child Should Know. And this particular edition is full of Thanksgiving themed stories. It's a story that says it would be suitable for a boy who has a sister and for the girl who has a brother. And it says that these are the ones who will best like the story of the spirited twins, Jesse and Jack. Jesse wanted to take music lessons and Jack tried mining in Colorado. So we'll get to that story in a moment. Uh, but the story again is written by Olive Thorne Miller, and uh, she was born on June 25th, 1831, and she passed away on December 25th, 1918. So she was a very long-lived woman and, and a very accomplished woman, uh, and, and a very accomplished woman. According to Wikipedia, she was an American author, naturalist, and ornithologist, and she wrote stories for leading magazines, and in later years devoted herself to the study of birds. Her articles appeared under the pen name Olive Thorne before writing under the signature of Olive Thorne Miller. And her books include Little Folks in Feathers and Fur in 1879, Queer Pets at Marcy's in 1880, Little People of Asia in 1882, Bird's Ways 1885, and In Nesting Time 1888. And she published uh, stories for the St. Nicholas Magazine in 1874. And this is interesting from her early years. It says, when Miller was 
11 years old, the Mann family was in Ohio, where she attended private schools for five years. Miller was a bookworm from her early days, exceedingly diffident, avoiding as far as she could all association with others, finding no sympathy with her peculiar tastes at home. She shrank more and more into herself and lived more and more in her books. She was a shy, awkward, overgrown girl with a painfully ready blush. To write was always her ambition, though she hated school compositions and shirked them when possible. Basically, I think this lady and I would be would be the best of friends, even though it sounds like we'd never want to get together to do anything. <laughs> We're just too busy reading our books. Later in life, in the 1880s, she became an avid bird watcher and was introduced to the study of birds by Sarah A. Hubbard, who was the director of the Illinois Audubon Society. Her work was acknowledged by professional biologists for its highly accurate research and observation. In 1904, she moved to Los Angeles, California, and she died there on December 25th, 1918. Let's settle down by our Christmas trees, grab some hot cocoa, and enjoy A Mystery in the Kitchen by Olive Thorne Miller. Something very mysterious was going on in the Jarvis kitchen. The table was covered with all sorts of good things. Eggs, and butter, and raisins, and citron and spices. And Jessie, with her sleeves rolled up and a white apron on, was bustling about, measuring and weighing and chopping and beating and mixing those various ingredients in a most bewildering way. Moreover, though she was evidently working for dear life, her face was full of smiles. In fact, she seemed to have trouble to keep from laughing outright, while Betty, the cook, who was washing potatoes at the sink, fairly giggled with glee every few minutes, as if the sight of Miss Jessie working in the kitchen was the drollest thing in the world. It was one of the pleasantest sights that big, sunny kitchen had seen for many a day, and the only thing that appeared mysterious about it was that the two workers acted strangely like conspirators. If they laughed, as they did on the slightest provocation, it was very soft and at once smothered. Jessie went often to the door leading into the hall and listened, and if there came a knock on the floor, she snatched off her apron, hastily wiped her hands, rolled down her sleeves, asked Betty if there was any flour on her, and then hurried away into another part of the house, trying to look cool and quiet, as if she had not been doing anything. On returning from one of these excursions, as she rolled up her sleeves again, she said, Betty, we must open the other window if it is cold. Mama thought she smelled roast turkey. Betty burst into a laugh, which she smothered in her apron. Jessie covered her mouth and laughed too, but the window was opened to make a draft and carry out the delicious odors, which, it must be confessed, did fill that kitchen so full that no wonder they crept through the cracks and the keyholes and hung above Jessie's dress as she went through the hall, in a way to make one's mouth water. What did you tell her? asked Betty as soon as she could speak. Oh, I told her I thought pot pie smelled a good deal like turkey, said Jessie, and again both laughed. Wasn't it lucky we had pot pie today? I don't know what I should have said if we hadn't. Well, it was not long after that when Jessie lined a baking dish with nice-looking crust, filled it with tempting-looking chicken legs and wings and breasts and backs in a bowl full of broth, laid a white blanket of crust over all, tucked it in snugly around the edge, cut some holes in the top, and shoved it into the oven, just after Betty drew out a dripping pan in which reposed, in all the glory of rich brown skin, a beautiful turkey. Mrs. Jarvis couldn't have had any nose at all if she didn't smell that. 
It filled the kitchen full of nice smells, and Betty hurried it into the pantry where the window was open to cool. Then Jessie returned to the spices and fruits she had been working over so long, and a few minutes later she poured a rich, dark mass into a tin pudding dish, tied the cover on tight, and slipped it into a large kettle of boiling water on the stove. There, she said. I hope that'll be good. I know it will, said Betty confidently. That's your ma's best recipe. Yes, but I never made it before, said Jessie doubtfully. Oh, I know it'll be all right, and I'll watch it close, said Betty. Now you go on and sit with your ma. I want that table to get dinner. But I'm going to wash all these things, said Jessie. You go long. I'd rather do that myself. Don't take me no time, said Betty. Jessie hesitated. But you have enough to do, Betty. I tell you I want to do it, the girl insisted. Oh, I know, said Jessie. You like to help about it. Well, you may, and I'm much obliged to you besides. And after a last look at that, at the fine turkey cooling his heels, if he had any, in the pantry, Jessie went into the other part of the house. When dinner time arrived and Papa came from town, there duly appeared on the table the pot pie before mentioned and various other things pleasant to eat, but nothing was seen of the turkey so carefully roasted, nor of the chicken pie, nor of the pudding that caused the young cook so much anxiety. Nothing was said about them either, and it was not Thanksgiving nor Christmas, though it was a few days before the former. It was certainly odd, and stranger things happened that night. In the first place, Jessie sat up in her room and wrote a letter, and then, after her mother was in bed and everything still, she stole down the back stairs with a candle, quietly, as though she was doing some mischief. Betty, who came down to help her, brought a box in from the woodshed, and the two plotters, very silently, with many listenings at the door to see if anyone was stirring, packed that box full of good things. In it, the turkey, wrapped in a snowy napkin, found a bed, the chicken pie and the plum pudding, beautiful looking as Betty said it would be, bore him company, and numerous small things, jam jars, fruits, etc., etc., filled the box to its very top. Then the cover, provided with screws so that no hammering need to be done, was fastened on. Now you go to bed, Miss Jessie, whispered Betty. I'll wait. No, you must be tired, said Jessie. I'd just as leaf. But I'd rather, said Betty shortly, and I'm going to. It won't be long now. So Jessie crept quietly upstairs, and before long, there was a low rap on the kitchen door. Betty opened it, and there stood a man. Ready? said he. Yes, answered Betty. But don't speak loud. Miss Jarvis has sharp ears, and we don't want her disturbed. Here's the card to mark it by, and she produced a card from the table. The man put it in his pocket, shouldered the box, and Betty shut the door. Not one of those good things ever went into the Jarvis dining room. The next morning, things went on just as usual in the house. The kitchen door was left open, and Mrs. Jarvis was welcome to smell any of the appetizing odors that wafted out into her room. Jessie resumed her study and especially her practice, for she hoped some day to be a great musician. She waited on her mother and took charge of the housekeeping, so much as was necessary with the well-tried servant at the head of the kitchen, and though she had but sixteen years over her bright brown head, she proved herself to be what in that little England town was called capable. But that box of goodies, let us see where it went. It was Thanksgiving morning in a rough-looking little mining settlement in Colorado. In a shanty rougher and more comfortless than the rest were two persons. One, a man of thirty, 
was deeply engaged in cleaning and oiling a gun which lay in pieces about him on the rough bench where he sat. The other, a youth of sixteen, was trying to make a fire burn in the primitive-looking affair that did duty as a stove. Both wore coarse miner's suits, and picks and other things about the room told that their business was to dig for the yellow dust we are all so greedy to have. Evidently luck had not been good, for the whole place appeared run down, and the two looked absolutely hungry. It was Thanksgiving morning, as I said, but no thankfulness shone in the two pale, thin faces. Both were sad, and the younger one almost hopeless. Jack, said the elder, pausing in his operations, mind you give that old hen a good boil or we won't be able to eat it. It'll be better than nothing anyway, I suppose, said Jack gloomily. Not much, especially if you don't get the taste of sagebrush out of it. Lucky I happened to get that shot at her anyway, he went on. I've seen worse dinners, even Thanksgiving dinners, than a sage hen. I haven't, said Jack shortly, for the mention of Thanksgiving had brought up before him with startling vividness the picture of a bright dining room in a certain town far away, a table loaded with good things, and surrounded by smiling faces, and the contrast was almost more than he could bear. Well, don't be down on your luck, boy, so long as you can get a good fat hen to eat, if she does happen to be too fond of seasoning before she's dead, replied the other cheerfully. We haven't struck it yet, but it's always darkest just before dawn, you know. We may be millionaires before this time tomorrow. We may, answered Jack, but he didn't look as if he had much hope of it. A few hours later, the occupants of the cabin sat down to their Thanksgiving dinner. It consisted of the hen aforesaid, cut in pieces and boiled, looking very queer, too, served in the kettle in which the operation had been performed. The table was at one end of the bench. The table service, two jackknives and two iron spoons, absolutely nothing else. The elder sat on the bench. The younger drew up a keg that had held powder, and the dinner was about to begin. But that hen was destined never to be eaten, for just at that moment the door was pushed open in the rude way of the country, a box set down on the floor, and a rough voice announced, A box for Mr. Jack Jones! Jack started up. For me? There must be a mistake. Nobody knows. He stopped, for he had not mentioned that his name was assumed. Likely not, said the man with a knowing look. But folks has a mighty queer way of finding out. And he shut the door and left. Jack stood staring at the box as if he had lost his wits. It could not be from home, for no one knew where he went when he stole out of the house one night six months ago and ran away to seek his fortune. Not a line he had ever written, not even when very ill, as he had been, not even when without a roof to cover his head, as he had been more than once, not even when he had not eaten for two days, as also, alas, had been his experience. He had deliberately run away because, how trivial it looked to him now, and how childish seemed his conduct, because he thought his father too hard on him, would not allow him enough liberty, wanted to dictate to this man of sixteen, he intended to show him that he could get on alone. Poor Jack, the only comfort he had been able to extract from his hard lot these many months of wandering, of work, of suffering such as he had never dreamed of, his only comfort was that his tender mother didn't know his only sister would no more be worried by his grumbling and complaints, and his father would be convinced now that he wasn't a baby. Small comfort, too, to balance the hardships that had fallen to his lot, since the money he had drawn from the savings bank, his little all, was used up. Why don't you open it? The gruff but not unkind voice of his roommate, whom he called Tom, aroused him. 
Maybe there's something in it better than Sage Hen, trying to raise a smile, but no smile followed. Mechanically, Jack sought the tools to open it, and in a few moments, the cover was off. It was from home. On the very top was a letter addressed to Jack Jarvis in a hand that he well knew. He hastily stuffed it into his pocket unopened. The layers of paper were removed, and as each one was thrown off, something new appeared. Not a word was spoken, but the kettle of sage hen was silently put on the floor by Tom as the bench began to fill up. A jar of cranberry sauce, another of orange marmalade, oranges and apples, a plum pudding, a chicken pie, and lastly, in its white linen wrapper, the turkey we saw browning in that far-off New England kitchen. As one by one these things were lifted out and placed on the bench, a deep silence reigned in the cabin. Jack had choked at the sight of the letter, and memories of days far different from these checked even Tom's usually lively tongue. A strange unpacking it was. How different from the joyful packing at dead of night with those two laughing girl faces bending over it. When all was done and the silence grew painful, Jack blurted out, "'Help yourself!' and bustled about, busily gathering up the papers and folding them and stuffing them back in the box, as though he were the most particular housekeeper in the world. But if Jack couldn't eat, something too ailed Tom. He said simply, "'Don't feel hungry. Believe I'll go out and see what I can find.' And shouldering his gun, now cleaned and put together, he quickly went out and shut the door. Jack sat down on the keg and looked at the things which so vividly brought home and his happy life there before him. He did not feel hungry either. He sat and stared for some time. Then he remembered his letter. He drew it from his pocket and opened it. It was very thick, and when he pulled it out of the envelope, the first thing he saw was the smiling face of his sister Jessie, his twin sister, his playmate and comrade, his confidant from the cradle. The loss of her ever-willing sympathy had been almost more to him than all the rest of his troubles. This was another shock that brought something to his eyes that made him see the others through a mist. There were the pictures of his mother, whose gentle voice he could almost hear, and of his father, whose gray hairs and sad face he suddenly remembered were partly his work. At last he read the letter. It began, Dear Jack, I've just found out where you are and I'm so glad. I send you this Thanksgiving dinner. It was too bad for you to go off so. You don't know how dreadful it was for Mama. She was sick a long time and we were scared to death about her, but she's better now. She can sit up most all day. Oh Jack, father cried. I'm sure he did and he almost ran out of the room and didn't say anything to anybody all day. But I was determined I'd find you. I shan't tell you how I did, but Uncle John helped me and now Jack, he says he wants just such a fellow as you to learn his business and he'll make you a very good offer. And Jack, that's my turkey. My Winnie, and nobody but Betty knows anything about this box and this letter. I send you all my money out of the savings bank. I didn't tell anybody that, and I want you to come home. You'll find the money under the cranberries. I thought it would be safe there, and I knew you'd eat them all. You're so fond of cranberries. I didn't tell anybody because I want to surprise them. And besides, let them think you came home because you got ready. It's nobody's business where you got the money anyway. Now do come right home, Jack. You can get here in a week's time, I know. Your affectionate sister, Jessie. Jack laid the letter down with a rush of new feelings and thoughts that overwhelmed him. He sat there for hours. He knew nothing of time. 
he had mechanically turned the cranberry jar upside down and taken from the bottom, carefully wrapped in white paper, $50. A pang went through him. Well did he know what that money represented to his sister, by how many sacrifices she had been saving it for a year or two, with the single purpose of taking the lessons from a great master that were to fit her to teach, to take an independent position in the world, to relieve her father, who had lost a large slice of his comfortable income, and who was growing old and sad under his burden. She had often talked it over with Jack. Now she had generously given up the whole to him, all her hopes and dreams of independence. And he, he who should have been the support of his sister, the right arm of his father, he had basely deserted. These thoughts and many more surged through his mind that long afternoon. And when Tom returned as the shadows were growing long, he sat exactly as he had been left. On Tom's entrance, he roused himself. There was a new light in his eye. Come, Tom, he said. Dinner's waiting. You must be hungry by this time. I am that, said Tom, who had been through his own mental struggles meanwhile. The two sat down once more to their Thanksgiving dinner, and this time they managed to eat. Though Jack choked whenever he thought of tasting a bit of Jesse's pet turkey, Winnie, and much as he liked turkey, and a home turkey at that, he could not touch it. After the meal, when the provisions were stored away in the cupboard, a soapbox, much too small for such a supply, it had grown quite dark, and the two, still disinclined to talk, went to their beds, if the rough bunks they occupied may be dignified by that name, but not to sleep, at least not Jack, who tumbled and tossed all night and got up in the morning with an energy and life he had not shown for weeks. After breakfast, Tom shouldered his pick and said, I'll go on, Jack, while you clear up. Yet he felt in his heart he should never see Jack again, for there was a homestruck look in his face that the man of experience in the ways of runaway boys knew well. He was not surprised that Jack did not join him, nor that when he returned at night to the cabin he found him gone and a note pinned up on the door. I can't stand it. I'm off for home. You may have my share of everything, Jack. It was a cold evening in early December, and there seemed to be an undercurrent of excitement in the Jarvis household. The table was spread in the dining room with the best silver and linen. Mrs. Jarvis was better, and had even been able to go into the kitchen to superintend the preparations for dinner. Jessie went around with a shining face that no one understood and she could not explain. Betty was strangely nervous and had made several blunders that morning which mortified the faithful servant very much. An air of expectancy pervaded the whole house, though the two heads of it had not a hint of the cause. Jessie heard the train she had decided to be the important one. She could hardly contain herself for expectation. She tried hard to sober herself now and then by the thought, perhaps he won't come. But she couldn't stay sobered, for she felt as certain that he would as that she lived. You all know how it happened. The door opened and Jack walked in. One instant of blank silence, and then a grand convulsion. Jack fell on his knees with his face in his mother's lap, though he had not thought a moment before of doing any such thing. Jesse hung over him, frantically hugging him. Mr. Jarvis, vainly trying to join this group, could only lay his hands on Jack's head and say in a broken voice, My son! My son! While Betty performed a dance around the party, wildly brandishing a basting spoon in one hand and wiping her streaming eyes on the dishcloth which she held in the other, it was long before a word could be spoken and the dinner was totally ruined, as Becky declared with tears, though they were not for sorrow, before anyone could calm down enough to eat. 
Then the reaction set in and justice was done to the dinner while talk went on in a stream. Jack did not tell his adventures. He only said that he had come from the city where he had made arrangements for a situation with Uncle John, at which Jesse's eyes sparkled. His looks, even after a week of comfort and hope, spoke for his sufferings. There is little more to tell. Jack Jarvis at 17 was a different boy from the Jack who at 16 started out to seek his fortune. You may be sure that Jessie had her music lessons after all, and that a new Winnie with a fine young brood at her heels stalked about the Jarvis grounds the next spring.
and that was A Mystery in the Kitchen by Olive Thorne Miller. Well, that was a wonderful story to read, and I hope it puts you in the mood for Thanksgiving this week. While I was reading it here today, it's been snowing outside, and it really helped set the mood for me. And so I hope it does for you as well. Uh, This was a new story to me by a new author I hadn't heard of before. That's been one of the great things of this podcast, that I've been able to find new writers and, and stories that I had not been made aware of before. As always, if you like what we're doing, you can make a donation for the price of a cup of coffee on ko-fi.com. It's ko-fi.com. And for the price of a cup of coffee, you can help support the podcast. Also, if you can share this with your friends, post it on your social medias, and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, that really does help out the show. I also want to say a special hello to my listeners on on YouTube. I do have a YouTube channel and it looks like I have about seven followers there. So if that's you, you know, you're the, the few, the proud, <laughs> the the YouTube the YouTube listeners. So I think I only know who one of you are, but if, if you're listening to this on YouTube, uh, I want to say just give you a special hello today and hope you're enjoying uh, this podcast. You know, that story still has me thinking, you know, Jessie's sacrifice of her poor pet turkey. Um, I'm glad it had a happy ending and that poor Winnie didn't die for for nothing. And (laughs) it's just so funny. He's trying to choke down the turkey and thinking of poor pet Winnie. Uh, But it it, it had its intended effect and and Jack came home. This was just a great story. I like this story. All right. So uh, until next time, be kind to each other and share your stories. And for heaven's sakes, I know things are bad this year, but don't eat the family pet for Thanksgiving. And remember, there is nothing in the world so irresistibly contagious as laughter and good humor. Have a very happy Thanksgiving.